Hey everyone, my name is Joel and I'm the Discipleship Pastor here at Eaglemont. So glad that you're able to join us and engage with us online this week. We're going to be continuing our series we've been going through entitled, What is a Disciple? Uh, each week, we're picking one of eight key characteristics that we as a church leadership uh, look at as practical definers of what a disciple actually looks like and how they live their life. So this week, we are on week number six. Uh, now, as a reminder, what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. So in week six, the key characteristic we are looking at today is we are looking at exercising faith. So right away, we need to come with a common definition of what does faith actually mean. So hopefully you have your Bible with you, and if you do, open up with me to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to look at what faith is according to the Bible. Hebrews 11:1 1 says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. It is confidence. Uh, this word confidence could also mean a foundation. It is a substructure. It is firm. It is something that we can stand on. It is a confidence, a foundation that we can stand on for things that are hoped for, things that we trust in. It is as an assurance or something that's been tested, that is proven, that is known, in things we cannot see, physically see with our eyes or sense with our physical senses. Faith is the foundation to believe in what we cannot see. For those of you who have gone through the Alpha course, you might be familiar with the story of Charles Blondin. Uh, and if you haven't done Alpha before, we'd be so excited for you to join us. A reminder that that's going to be happening starting April 15th, or April 5th, sorry, this year, if you'd like to join us. But Charles Blondin was a famous acrobat and performer in the 1800s. In the summer of 1859, Blondin famously entertained crowds as he would go across a tightrope across Niagara Falls from Canada to the United States and back again. And on both sides of the border, he had crowds of people that would cheer as he would do this magical feat across. And he did it with ever-increasing difficulty. One time he did it uh, going across in a potato sack. Another time he did it, went across on stilts. Uh, then he really upped his game one time and actually had a portable stove that he walked into the middle of the falls, stopped, put it down, and cooked an omelet for himself. One time he went across blindfolded. One day in July, he did this, went across blindfolded to one side of the falls and came back having a wheelbarrow. And the crowds oohed and awed and cheered. And then he said, do you believe that I could actually carry another human being across the wheelbarrow, across the tightrope, across the falls? And of course, the crowd says, yes, they've seen all these amazing things he's done. Yes, we believe, of course you can. Then Blondin asked, who would volunteer? And suddenly the ruckus crowd became quiet and no one was willing to volunteer. Later that summer in August, Blondin did the same thing. And again, as the crowds began to cheer, he said, who believes I can do this? And they all said yes and said, would anybody volunteer? And a stillness and a quiet again came across the crowd until an elderly woman quietly said, I will. That woman was Blondin's mother. She was the only one who had enough faith in him to actually put her life in his hands. Faith is the foundation to believe in what we cannot see. See, there was many in the audience who were fans of Blondin, many who believed he could do great things, but only one who was willing to put their lives in his hand, only one who really knew him well enough to have faith in him. Faith is not positive thinking. Faith is not believing for the best. 
It's not cheering for, it's relying on. It's being willing to lean in and to fully trust, to dive in. When we talk about living a life of faith, we are talking about living a life of ever-increasing radical trust and obedience to God. I think there's sometimes confusion, especially in churches when we talk about faith. Faith has nothing to do with personality type. It is a posture. I'm going to say that again and explain it. Faith is not a personality type. It is a posture. Some believe that faith is synonymous with optimism or positive thinking, being a risk taker or a dreamer. A disciple who lives a life of radical faith is not the person who can imagine and believe for the greatest things. In fact, sometimes living a life of faith is not doing the riskiest thing. I'll give you an example from my own life. When I came out of Bible college, I had a dream of, of being a pastor at a certain church. It was a church in the denomination I had been with. It was our largest church. And I had gone there as a teenager and always had the dream of being there. And they actually offered me an internship to come on staff with some of my favorite pastors at a church where I had lots of friends. And they actually flew me out to the city to be there. When I was there that weekend, all the stars seemed to line up, if you will. And it was the right place. It was the right adventure to go to. But God told me no. A faith response isn't just always a yes. It took faith to actually be obedient to when God says no. Faith is centered not in positive thinking or a great imagination. Faith, true biblical faith, is based in a person. Romans 10, 17 says this, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, for those of you who were with us a couple weeks ago when we talked about Bible engagement in this series, when we read this word, word of God, it's not the word logos, which is talking about our Bibles. It's the word rhema, which means God's word, God's spoken word, him speaking directly to us. Faith is birthed out of God's spirit speaking to ours. Relationship is key to faith because faith is rooted in Jesus. Our faith is only available in response to whom the one we put our faith in. So going to the story that we just spoke about uh, a couple minutes ago with Blondon, his mother was the only one who was willing to volunteer because she had the relationship. She knew him well enough that she was willing to fully put her life in his hands. If I can... As another illustration, my son, much like his father, did not come to water naturally. And when he was little, the idea of jumping in the deep end of the pool, extremely scary. He likes the water as long as it's below his head. And so, like maybe some of you other parents, I would stand in the water and I would tell him, you can jump, I've got you, and raise my hands at him. And he would look, I, I can't do it that, as he would look down at the water. And I would get him to look at my eyes, Judah, I've got you. Me saying that didn't change his fear of the circumstances of the water and what he didn't want to have happen. But the reality of the person who was telling him to come made it so that he could take the risk of jumping in because he knew dad would catch him and dad would keep him safe. Faith-filled living is a posture of trust and obedience. It is responding not just to what our circumstances may be, but to what God says to us. Trusting in the character of God, that he will do what he says and what he has promised us, he will do. That he will do what is right. Then, out of that, living in a way that 100% trusts him in doing what he has said. Faith 
is an appropriate response to a supernatural reality. So what exactly does faith do? Uh, going to this passage of Hebrews 11 that we first read from in Hebrews 11.1, 1, that definition of faith. The rest of the chapter goes on into what they call the hall of faith, listing heroes of faith from the Old Testament. We see Noah, who built an ark and survived the flood. Abraham, who left his home and moved to a promised land, who became the father of Israelite nation, as well as had many descendants when it looked like that would be impossible. Or Moses, who survived a genocide, who grew up in Pharaoh's household, and then ended up coming back and standing up to Pharaoh, performing miracles and leading Israel out of Egypt. And it goes on and on of heroes of the Old Testament who lived by faith. Your faith, ignited by God's grace, can do amazing things. Matthew 17 and 20, these are the words of Jesus. And he says this, I tell you the truth. If you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Faith allows us to not simply see and experience things from our humanistic perspective. It empowers us to believe for what would be improbable or impossible on our own. I've seen this in my own life as I've witnessed answered prayers, people who have gone to an altar call in a church service and received healing, physical legs being healed when they were broken. I've seen people who have uh, prayed and received provision with jobs and income that they badly needed. I've seen people who have been freed from demonic possession. Even in my own life, I've witnessed the miraculous work of God as I've been obedient to what he said. I remember when I was First, as a youth pastor in my early 20s, and on a youth night, I ended up actually electrocuting my hand, uh, really badly burning my hand and having to go to the emergency later that night. They bandaged and treated it and needed me to come back for more procedure in the morning. That night, I took some painkillers and I went to bed. Now, when I woke up in the morning, I prayed before I went to bed because I just felt like I can pray for myself for a miracle healing. And when I woke up, there was literally no scarring, no residue of anything that was left from the burns that I had had the night before. Or for my wife and myself, I know I've shared this before, when we were first married, we had no income because of some extenuating circumstances. And we prayed regularly and expected God to help us, and he did. We had bills that ended up getting paid that sometimes I don't know how they got paid. We would pay a bill and no money would come out of our bank account. And I promise you, we weren't ripping people off, but God just miraculously provided. God does amazing things when his grace unites with our faith. Faith opens our lives to experience the intersecting of God's miraculous works. Now, as God's church, we don't want to simply live by our own thoughts, strength, and ability. We want to live by faith. So what exactly is the goal of faith in the life of a disciple, a follower of Jesus? I see two main goals in scripture that I want us just to unpack quickly. The first is this. It's found in Hebrews 11, again, the same chapter in Hebrews 11, and we're going to read in verse 2 and 3. But here we see that faith leads us to understanding. By faith, it says in Hebrews 3, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Faith allows us to be brought to understanding. 
I don't know if you've ever done uh, any of the trust exercises that sometimes people do in seminars. I remember I used to play these games where we'd have one person who would be blindfolded and they would have a partner on the other side of the room. And that partner could not come over and touch them, could not move them around, but had to use their words and their voice to help describe what that person had to go through the room to get to them, to kind of go through this little obstacle course. They couldn't see anything and they relied on the voice to direct them where to go. Take two steps left. All right, now four steps forward. And that voice would be a guiding force for them. Our faith helps lead us to understanding. It's like that voice that calls us forth and gives us instructions in the world that we cannot see. 1 Peter 1 verses 8 to 9 says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, God, and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Salvation is the ultimate destination of understanding. It brings us into God's story of what he has done and his redemptive love that has reached out to you and me so that we can again be united with him. That's the salvation we received. Freedom from sin and again a uniting with God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 explains that this salvation is a work of grace for it is by grace, God's free gift that you've been saved through faith. God's free gift of grace offered through Jesus, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Now, it's important. We need to grasp it. Grasp this. It's God's grace that ignites our faith to bring forth salvation. It's not simply faith on our own. We can't earn our way or think our way or believe our way to God. God's grace is what sparks the fire and our faith with God's grace leads us to salvation. Now, if you've ever read through, some people find a, a difficulty with the book of James because the, the book of James speaks not of grace, but it talks about works. This is what it says in, in James chapter 2, starting in verse 17. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, some of you may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Faith by itself isn't good enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Wait a second, what about what we just read in Ephesians where it says we are saved not by works so that no one can boast. Are these parts of the Bible contradicting themselves? No, it's actually not at all. The works of God in our lives are not the goal of faith, but rather they are the byproduct. They are not the catalyst of faith. They are the byproduct. We are not saved on our own merits, but solely by God's grace. The natural byproduct of authentic faith is good works. God's grace combined with faith naturally produce good works. If I can, think of it this way. If you've ever did a science fair when you were a kid, there was probably someone that made the volcano. You know what I'm talking about. Every science fair has the volcano. Plaster scene put together, it looks like, kind of like a volcano. And then inside, the real science of it is this chemical compound combustion as we have baking soda and vinegar. 
two different elements, but when they combine together, there's a chemical reaction which produces the lava flow for the volcano. But it's a great parallel. Just like we have baking soda and, and vinegar, which are two distinct elements, we have God's grace and our faith combined together that overflow, that chemical reaction is not something new, but it's something that's a byproduct of those two things coming together. God's grace, faith, the natural byproduct is good works. We just naturally change when God's grace meets us and our faith meets him. So if works isn't the other goal, we've got understanding leading to salvation as the first goal of faith. What would be the second goal of faith? Well, we find that again in Hebrews chapter 11, and it is to please God. Hebrews eleven six, and it is impossible to please God without faith. It is impossible to please God without faith. If you're a mathematician, you remember from school, A plus B equals C. So if we wanna do this in a math equation, A plus B equals C, C minus B equals A. The purpose of faith is to please God. If, if it is impossible to please God without faith, the very purpose of faith itself is to please God. The works in our lives are not the goal. The change of your behavior is not the goal of faith. But the goal is found at the deeper level of the motivation, the catalyst for those works, those changes of behavior. And that is the desire to please God. The living out of the true faith pleases God. Your faith plus God's grace equals amazing things. So, this morning I want us to spend just a few more minutes together, and I want us to answer the question that was the title of this message. How do I exercise faith? If you have your Bibles, we've been in Hebrews chapter 11 primarily, but I want you to flip your Bibles to the book of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament, about two-thirds into your Bible if you haven't really scrolled through that before. The book of Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to be reading verses 22 to 33. Many of you may be familiar with this story. It's the story of Jesus sending his disciples across a lake on a boat. This is what it says, starting in verse 22. Immediately after this, immediately after this speaking to you, right before this, was, was the amazing miracle of Jesus feeding 5,000 people with a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of sardines. And he miraculously multiplies us to feed 5,000 men, and many scholars say probably about 15,000 when you include women and children. So you can imagine his disciples riding this high of amazing, look what Jesus did. And immediately after that, Jesus goes off to pray. It says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake, this lake being the Sea of Galilee, while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble for, uh, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting the heavy waves. At about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. Okay, let's just pause for a second. Let's get this seed. 
So it's three in the morning. There's no lights on the water. It's pitch black, it's dark. So these guys have been rowing for quite some time, but clearly the seas are really troublesome, but they're stuck right in the middle, right in the trouble spot. And these guys would not, many of them would not be unfamiliar with the idea of being in the water in the middle of the night. As fishermen, they would have done that before. But it's pitch black. And there's a lot of folklore that went around in this particular region, as they believed oftentimes in the middle of the water where there were storms, they could see things and that ghosts hovered over this particular body of water. So at three in the morning, we've got exhausted, tired guys who have been working, can't get across. Many of these men, again, have done this before. And, and what happens? Well, we see right away, when the disciples saw this image walking towards them in the water, verse 26, they were terrified. Of course they were. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I'm here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over to the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. Four things that I want to pull out from this story that I think are really practical in guides and how do we actually exercise our faith in being disciples of Jesus. So from this story, the first thing that I see is this. We need to take a step. Peter, in his response, says they all see this image coming and he says, it's Jesus. Peter didn't say, Jesus, calm these winds down. We've been fighting forever. We're exhausted. It's scary out here. It feels horrible. He didn't say, make things better. Make things safer for me. He said, if it's you, tell me to come. A life of faith doesn't ask God to meet us in our comfort or just to make our world and our life more comfortable, but it pushes us to step out and approach Jesus. Some, when they read this story, look at it and see Peter as really the failure here because Peter ended up going out in the water and what did he do? He sunk. Yes, but Peter was the only one who was willing to step out of the boat. And Peter was the only one who actually walked on water. If we are going to live a life of faith, we can't be afraid to fail. Now, does living a life of faith mean that we never struggle with doubt? Some of you may be like me and go, that's great. That's great that Peter did that, but I don't have the faith to step out and walk on water. How do I respond with faith or with belief after I've experienced heartbreak and disappointment? Maybe some of you have even experienced heartbreak and disappointment because of your experiences in church. Perhaps you dealt with a health issue and you felt the pressure and disappointment of other people because when they prayed for you, you weren't healed. Maybe you've even heard it's because your faith wasn't strong enough. That's the reason why it didn't happen. It's your fault. How do you come to God in faith when you've experienced heartbreak and disappointment in your past? There's a story in Mark 9, 17 to 24. It's a story of a father who brings his son to Jesus. Now his son had been possessed by an evil spirit and the spirit would throw him into the ground and throw him into convulsions. 
The father asked Jesus to heal him. He begged him, please heal my son. In verse, uh, in, uh, in, in the passage here in Mark chapter 9, sorry, the, the father says, Jesus, have mercy on us and help us if you can. In verse 23, Jesus says, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Some of us have faith to believe in God, but maybe some of the wounding and hurt in our past, we know that there's struggles in our faith, that we can honestly come to the Father and say, help my unbelief. Living a life of faith does not mean that you will never struggle with doubt. Let's not, church, pretend and to be these super spiritual people and in so discourage one another. The reality is being a follower of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus, you will have moments of doubt in your life. And to ignore that or pretend that isn't there is inauthentic. And not only is that inauthentic and because of that ineffective living, it's insulting living to Christ. Because that's not how the way he wants you to relate to him. You wrestling with doubt does not mean that you do not have a viable faith. We need to honestly seek out the remedy to our doubt. We need to step out. Where do you go with your questions? Who do you seek? Whom do you look to with your doubts and your struggles? Do you just end up deciding to work harder and do your own spiritual practices and your own penance thinking you'll earn your way to God? That you're doing enough good things that you're attending church so you're good? Or do you actually go to God yourself and ask, God, if it's you, if it's really you and you're telling me to do something in my life, tell me to come to you. If you're telling me to, to change my job, if you're telling me to share my faith with that person, tell me. Tell me to come to you. Number two, we respond to the voice of Jesus, not the desire to accomplish or achieve. So number one was we step out. Number two, we respond to the voice of Jesus. Peter didn't step out on his own. Again, he responded to the words of Jesus. Come, that invitation to come onto the water. Peter didn't go out on his own assuming, oh, look what I'll be able to do this miraculous miracle. I can do it because Jesus did it. Look what I'm going to accomplish. He told Jesus to invite him. Why? Because he knew if he did it out of obedience, it could happen. See, his response was not simply to follow his own desires and aspirations, but his confidence to step out was grounded in the person who directed him to do so. A life of faith does not simply seek around running for miracles, signs, wonders, and blessings. It is solely focused on one thing, Jesus, knowing him and following him and pleasing him. You don't have to live a crazy risk-taker life to follow God. You need to be obedient to what he says. Now, I'm going to be frank. If you're actually following God to the outside and the rest of the world, it's going to look like a risky, crazy life. But it's really not. Because if he tells you to, you know you can trust him. Like Blondin's mother or my son when he jumps into my arm into that pool that's scary and he doesn't want to go in. But he knows that dad's got him. We need to respond to the voice of Jesus, not simply do out of our own aspirations and dreams. Number three, we need to keep fixated on Jesus. Notice as Peter gets out of the boat and begins to walk on the water towards Jesus. But then what happens? He begins to look and sees strong winds and the waves. And then he begins to sink. 
Peter turned his attention. See, he was fixated on Jesus as he stepped out of the boat, but then he began to focus on his circumstances. When we turn away from Christ is when we doubt, when doubt creeps in and our ability to walk in faith begins to sink. It's when we begin to go, okay, God, I'm going to follow you, but oh God, there's no way we could ever afford that. Oh, we don't have the resources. I'm not a strong enough speaker. I, I, don't, I don't know how to share someone and lead someone to Christ. I don't have that ability. I'm not, I'm not a great preacher. When we begin to look at our circumstances, when we begin to look at the winds and the waves is when we begin to fall out of living a life of faith. We need to be fixated on Jesus. This is why we emphasize so much every day we need time with God to keep our eyes focused on him. Finally, number four, we need to rely on God's grace when we falter. From again, this passage that we see in Matthew, in verse 31, Jesus, as Peter begins to seek, Jesus doesn't wait. He immediately reaches out and grabs him. Jesus didn't let Peter drown. He picked him up. Here's the thing. When we step out in faith and follow Jesus, but fail because we become afraid, Jesus doesn't abandon us. He doesn't leave us to drown. He will pick us back up. Notice the response of Jesus' words after this. You have so little faith. And these words are key. He doesn't say, you have so little faith. Why are you scared of those waves? Why are you scared of the wind? Why are you being such a baby? No. Why did you doubt me? See, fear is actually not rooted in our circumstances. Our circumstances just draw the fear out of us. Fear, when it comes down to it, is a doubt in God. Jesus knew that and he was trying to teach Peter something here. He wasn't just trying to reprimand him. He was trying to teach him and help him to grow. Because God is in control of all the things we fear. When my son would jump into that pool that was so scary for him and jump into my arms, as a dad, that made me feel so great. Do you know why? Because it, it communicated to me that he trusted me, that he knew I would protect him and I would keep him safe, that I was his safe place. Pastor Marlowe, back in January, had a two-week message series entitled, Two Big Questions. The first question was the big question that we have for God. God, do you love me? And if you're asking that question for yourself, you should listen to that message, but let me sum it up to this. A resounding, yes, he loves you. But then the corresponding week, the question was God's question, big question for us. Will you trust me? Will you trust in more than yourself? More than your own ability to fix, your own ability to reason, your own physical giftings to draw together? Will you truly not concern yourself with the wind and the waves? but just see me. And even if it doesn't make sense, trust me. Walk towards me and keep fixated on me. God is asking you and me to step out in faith, to live a life of radical obedience. So I ask you today, what is God asking you to exercise faith in your life? I want us just to take a couple moments of quiet. It won't be long. But I'm gonna ask you, to directly ask God this question, and I'm gonna pray for all of us. Just take 10 seconds. This question, God, 
Where are you wanting me to exercise faith in my life right now? God, as you bring things to our hearts and minds, maybe for some of us it's, it's a conversation we're supposed to have. Maybe it's a risk we, you're calling us to take a risk with our finances or asking us to really faithfully step out in that. God, maybe there's a life decision that you've, we've been pondering and you're putting on our hearts, God, a direction of what we should do, but we're afraid and you're really making that clear to us what you want us to do. Can you help empower us, make that voice clear and empower our faith to do what we couldn't do on our own? May you reach out with your grace, God, and line that up to a building faith within us so that we can see the amazing works you want to do in our lives. As a church, God, help us to be those who spur each other on, who speak truth, who don't just give passing comments, who don't flippantly say things, but God, who believe in faith for the good things that you have spoken and done, to call each other out not to be dreamers, but God, to actually spend time to hear what you say and then push each other to push forward in what you tell us to do. Perhaps if there's someone listening right now who this idea of faith is so formed because they've never actually had a relationship with you, Maybe Christianity is new to them, or maybe they've been involved in the church, but Christianity to them has been religious practice, not the living out of a faith from vibrant relationship. Right now, you have that opportunity and can invite Jesus to come and begin to have those type of conversations, those types of proddings and leadings from God's Spirit in your life. And you can just do so by simple prayer like this. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for paying for my sin. Thank you for loving me. I admit that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of your grace. Forgive me, make me clean, make me whole. Help me to live for you every day. Help me to have faith that grows, faith that walks, faith that lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's reach out this week, practically. Find someone that you can encourage and begin to frame our conversation. What is God saying to you? And then build each other up in the faith we need to follow through as God speaks to us. God bless you, church.